This is a Therapy for Dads podcast. I'm your host. My name is Travis. I'm a therapist, a dad, a husband. Here at Therapy for Dads, we're reclaiming the narrative of fatherhood, one story at a time. You can follow the journey on Instagram at Therapy for Dads and our website, www.therapyfordads.com. Welcome. All right, welcome, welcome, good morning. My name is Travis, and welcome to Therapy for Dads. And I'm welcoming on today's show, first time ever, a group interview with Hector and Markay, and they are from their own podcast called Her Best Dad Ever. How are you guys doing this morning? Yes. Good. Doing good? Yes, I'm glad to be here. Glad glad to have you guys on. Glad to be here, too. Yeah, yeah. Good morning. It's it's 5.30 a.m. It is. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> early. I see it in my eyes, hear it in my voice. Yeah, and uh, glad to uh, glad to be here, though. Yeah, I'm glad to have you guys on. It's uh, you know Hector and I have been talking over the past few months and meaning to do this, and we finally carved out this, some time to get this done and and to have a conversation. So I'm really excited, and um, you know, and the work that you guys are doing on your uh, podcast, and and for those who don't know, her best dad ever is a, is a is a girl dad podcast. Their heart is to talk about what it's like being girl dads and to learn from other girl dads and get wisdom and, and, to, and to pass that on. So they have a great show. So check them out. If you want another podcast to listen to for fathers specifically and specifically for girl dads. So they, they're doing some great stuff over there. I love Thanks, you guys' Travis. podcast. I, I don't have a girl and I, I listen because <laughs> it's, oh, it's great. <laughs> um, it, it's a lot of wisdom that you guys get. A lot of guys, great oh, conversations. Man. And so yeah, man, I take right, it. I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, yeah, man. We're, we're really excited about it and the stuff that we're learning. Yeah, it's it's yeah. great. <laughs> it really is. And so and those ha- who have been listening, it's funny. I haven't I think this is one of my first video interviews of someone who is in on the West Coast who has a similar time zone as me because often I'm recording people on the East Coast or in the UK or <laughs> somewhere else where it's a significant oh, wow. time difference. So, we're all sharing in the early morning. Yes. Uh, which feels good. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Hector Marquet, whoever wants to jump in first, how about you go ahead and start by introducing yourself? Tell us a little about, you know, dad, how many kids, what you do. Yeah. So, I'm, my, my name's Hector Jimenez. I have uh, four girls, um, twin baby girls uh, who are five. Um, I said babies, they're, they're the kids now, but twin, twin girls who are five. I have a three year old. I have a one year old, um, Sarai Eden, Joel, and Glory. I've been married for 10 years. And um, yeah, we, we, we live in Southern California. I work as a professor at a private university in Riverside um, in music. Um, so uh, aside from that, I'm, I'm a songwriter, um, an artist, and uh, just love, love all things music. Okay. That sound great, man. Yeah, it does. I know. That's a, that's a, Thanks, man. I mean, that was a great elevator speech. And man, this is, that, this that is was. Heck. I'm like, man, the bar is high, you know? Yeah, I know. Oh. It's like, well, I'm not a professor. And... Right. Like, oh, All right, man. guys. So so my name is Marque Fairley. I, um, I have two kids, uh, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, uh, Gabrielle and Savannah. Uh, I've been married. It'll be nine years next month. Wow, nine mm-hmm. years. Um I'm a musician, producer. Uh, I travel and play with different artists, and yeah, that sums up Marque. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, that's 
It was great, Mark. It, it, it was just as powerful as Hector's. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It was, <laughs> <laughs> we have our elevator speeches down. Right, we do. <laughs> and, um, and who, out of curiosity, um, who is the artist you're going on tour with next there, Marque? So I've uh, been playing with a hip-hop artist, a hip-hop legend in the name of Nas. Uh, for the last, what, 10 to 12 years, been uh, playing with him. So for the first six or seven years, it was more uh, like we do tours, two, what, two to three months out of the year. Hmm. Um, but as I got married to having kids, uh, I slowed it down a lot uh, just because I didn't come up with a father in the home and I didn't want to be that type of father hmm. um, to my kids. Um, so uh, slowed that down a little bit. And now we do like spot dates. So dates here and there, but not like yeah. just crazy tours throughout the year. So, okay. But yeah, man. Good. Two things right there. One, what, so when you play with Nas, what do you do? Are you one of the dancers or do you sing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely one of the dancers. You okay. know? Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. No, I, I'm the, uh, I'm the, I'm his piano player. So, awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. And for those geeks out there, what kind of, what kind of key, what kind of keys do you play? What's your key? Yeah. Playing? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Most people don't care about that. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I play uh, Nords. Uh, I'm a huge Nord fan. I'm also a huge yeah. Hammond organ uh, B3 fan. Uh, yeah. uh, Fender mm. Rhodes. Yep. Um, so that that's yeah, that's pretty much my speed right there. Well, yeah, those are all. I mean, those, if you're gonna play keys, I mean, you, yeah, those are all the ones you want to play. So, <laughs> yeah, for all you if any musicians listening, like, yeah, that's yep. If you if you don't know about keys, like, those are those are what you play, um, and they're great inst- great instruments, man. Yeah, you do man. a lot with them, and I don't want to leave Hector out. Uh, so, Hector, what what's your main instrument? Because I know you do music. Yeah, no, I sing, I play keys, play a little bit of guitar, um, and. Um, yeah, songwrite. It's good to have fellow musicians on, and, and I, I call myself uh, for those listening. I'm putting quotes in this big fat quotes, but I'm um, I'm also a musician, um, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't yeah, know man. if I stand up against Marque. But no, I, I also love music, and it's a big part of my life. And whether listening or playing, and and uh, I'm sure you guys can relate to that. It's a it's a good outlet for awesome. you know stress, mental health, and just for fun. I love it. Awesome. Right, music is a big part of. It's a powerful thing, right? It's awesome. Um, I noticed you just said Markayla. You didn't say didn't say me. <laughs> Hector. <laughs> hey, so you got the you got the professor tag, okay? So let yeah, me have right. this one. Right, yeah. <laughs> they, you know, I just gotta see who <laughs> you got the professor tag, <laughs> professor. Um do you have the cool like do you have a doctorate too? Do you have the cool garb and everything in the hat? No, or? I don't have no, the doctorate. Okay. Try trying to <laughs> trying to avoid that one. I I've learned just about me. Like I'm not I'm not technically I don't feel like an academic. I'm more of a practitioner. Hmm. Um I'm I'm in I'm in um education. Academia. I'm in academia because I love um I I just love mentoring students. I love working yeah. with them. That's awesome. That's I'm sure your students feel that. So um okay, so Let's jump in then to kind of the the meat of the show. Um, whoever wants to start, really, Marque or Hector. So I would love to know, within your JAD journey or even now, like, can you share um, a difficulty that you've gone through as a father, as a man? Like, could you go ahead and share with us about that? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll start, Hector. Uh, yeah, I, I think I alluded to it a little earlier when I'm talking about my touring stuff. Uh 
a difficulty that I had to navigate being a dad was um, fatherlessness. You know, me not having a foundation of what a father looks like in a home. And so entering into fatherhood, I didn't know how that will spring up again. Like I've been through therapy and all the things uh, to wrestle with that and got to a place of thinking I was okay, which I was. Mm. But then once you start having kids, it kind of sprung up again in a new way, you know? And um, yeah, so that was just one difficult thing that I had to navigate. And um, I mean, through mentors and people coming to my life community, um, to really speak in and speaking to me and uh, me to learn from um, was really helpful for me. But I just remember having so much anxiety of like, wow, my father wasn't there. So uh, I don't know what a healthy father looks like in a home. So mm-hmm. how how therefore I'm going to be this this father to these kids, you know, without having that that background. So it, it was really difficult. But yeah. I'm all about, uh, you know, uh, breaking generational curses, um, changing in the narrative and yeah, just trying to be the best father I can be even without that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned, if you don't mind my asking, you said it did some therapy, you did some work. So it sounds like you, you had this awareness of needing to, to work on that. So when you, de- when you saw a therapist, what were you kind of seeing them for? Like it, obviously not sharing everything, but Within that fatherless, was it kind of dealing with the emotions behind it, the fear? Was it about the the hurt, the loss, or a combination of that? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything that you just articulated. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the fear, uh, the yeah, the emotional side of things. Me, me feeling that I couldn't be emotionally present mm-hmm. um, just because I wasn't validated from that side of things. You know, um, mm-hmm. so therefore, fear rose up. You know, and. So, yeah, so a lot of those things that you just articulated. You know, you did some therapy for that, about that fear, that anxiety yeah. about having not about not having a model of a father in the home. Right. And you shared that you thought you were okay, like hey, you work through your you work through it essentially with therapy. And yeah. then it came back after having your kids. It was like it came it returned. You had to you mentioned reaching out to mentors gotcha. and getting gotcha. some help. So I'm wondering what was it that came back? Was it just, oh, I have yeah. a kid now and now it's feeling differently? And no, or no, what was it? It's funny, I did a post about this like some a while back. Uh it was just little moments and I'm I'm not I just, I'm gonna give your listeners a clear picture. It wasn't when the baby came out that all of these things start, I start to wrestle with those things with, Mm -hmm. um, it was more so throughout my father journey, Mm -hmm. as my kids grew, I start to see little things that they do that I did, uh, longing for my father, you know, um, my, I'm pushing my daughter on on a swing at a park and she's asking a simple question like, daddy, where, where's, where's grandpa, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and it just took me back to five-year-old Marquet asking, wow, where's, where's my dad? You know? Uh, mm-hmm. So, so little moments like that yeah. where it really kind of, yeah, I think moments like that really did something to me where I was like, oh, wow, I still, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's still there and it's, it's resurfacing in a yeah. different type of way, mm-hmm. which I didn't, I didn't foresee to come. So, uh, so yeah. And then that's when you decided, Hey, I need to reach out to a mentor. And then you did, you reached out and said, Hey, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. It was sounds like that was helpful to have someone to reach out to. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one that's one thing I love about um me and Hector's podcast, the idea of like not doing this alone and feeling the pressure because I feel like us dads, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. so so the fact that 
me and Hector can do this anytime mm-hmm. I'm, you know, having a day. Um, <laughs> I can just reach out to this guy and he's just a huge source of encouragement and reminding me who I am, you know, and yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, man. So, wow. so yeah, it's been, it's been great. Yeah, I mean, through through the podcast, her best dad ever. We've, I mean, we've essentially, <laughs> I mean, we've acquired a lot of mentors. I mean, through this, you know, yeah. Um, even though it's just been one or two conversations, we can go back and listen to them. And yeah, we've we've really um, we really are, are learning a lot. And yeah, what, what you're saying about mentorship, Travis, is is, is key. It's mm. important. You just said something, RK, too. That you tell me if this fits. You said <clears throat> you're pushing your daughter on the swing, mm. right? And she asked the question, you know, where where's Grandpa? And it like took you back right yeah to yeah. five-year-old Marquet and asking where's dad and to me it sounds an awful lot like that it's grief mm. it's grief and loss which it's that we can be re-triggered because grief and loss is a process we like to think that grief and loss is like this nice clean cut i i go yeah. through it and then it's done i'm good and now right. i'm just at acceptance <laughs> and and it's perfect from here on out i never feel it again but it sounds like it's like that re it, it, it hits you in that um, that emotional bone or what you want to call it like oh wow yeah i'm feeling that again and i'm having to in a way readdress that loss or kind of yeah, re yeah. process yeah. that again now with my daughter right and i'm feeling the emotions and feeling what it was like to you know maybe be in a similar situation and what that was like is that kind of what it's like is that kind of how you would describe oh it? yeah yeah because okay. yeah for us fathers like we want to be the protector you know like like so, and I pride myself to be this protector, protector from my daughters, and and just yeah, there's a little fear there that I saw. Like, wow, I can't protect her from everything. You know, there's gonna be mm-hmm. things that she's gonna be exposed to, mm-hmm. um, and we're gonna have to navigate it together. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, man. Well, and I I do love what you said too that you reached out to mentors. You reached out, yeah, and yeah. you said, hey, I, you know, let's talk and clear yeah. my head. And even so, it sounds like the show is a bit about that too, of reminding you, uh, you know, Hector. I think you said it, reminding you know us of who we are, yeah. you know, yeah. and who does it remind you of who you are, Marquet? What is it? What does it help you remind you of? Like who who is Marquet? I guess at the core, you get right to it, man. That's I know. I was about to say, man. I, I want my turn. I, I want my therapy here. You coming up? Ne- <laughs> coming up next, man. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I, I think ultimately, man, it just reminds me that I am not my dad's mistakes. You know, um, and just because he decided to take that path uh, mm. doesn't mean that I have to. You know, I can change. Mm. I can change the narrative and break the generational curse um, within my family, and it doesn't have to continue. You know. Mm. Dang, that's good, Marquet. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. I'm not my dad's mistakes. It, that hit me. I'm not my dad's mistakes. I mean, gosh, mm-hmm. what a what a powerful thing mm-hmm. to to know the truth and and to use that as a weapon when you start to I guess when the fear creeps back in. It's like, no, I'm not my dad's mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. geez, wow. Is your episode man. title, Travis? Yeah, I'm not my dad's <laughs> mistakes. Shoot, man, that's <laughs> we can tell. Yeah, I think that's a lot. I feel like that would be for a lot of men and women, but specifically speaking to men, I think that would be something that resonate with a lot of men, Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. of men that maybe they haven't been able to articulate it that way. But geez, I mean, even I feel that a little bit of that about that one, you know, in my story that there was times that I would, I was afraid too, a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. repeating my dad's mistakes and there was a whole season too where I was like, gosh, I'm afraid because I don't want to end up like what he did. Right. Um, and right. decisions he made and the people he hurt. And so I, I could relate to that that feeling of like, oh yeah, 
Oh yeah. I know that mm. feeling. I get that one. So Hector, yeah. your turn. Um, <laughs> so can you share a bit about maybe a difficulty you went through as a father, as a man? Um, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, for sure. So for me, I feel like the difficulty was there before, was there early on in their childhood. And it's still something, you know, I, uh, you know, I work through and struggle with. And that's um, the topic of workaholism, if that's a word. Um, mm. You know, the, the whole topic of being a work- workaholic. Both my dad and my mom um, were very, very hard workers. They, they, they never stopped. You know, my dad worked full time outside the home. My mom worked at home. And I think I always uh, witnessed, you know, both my parents just just going, you know, working. Mm. Oh. On top of that, I received validation and affirmation for my performance. Um, you know, as I mm. as I've been through therapy myself and look back at my childhood, you know, it was always um, achieving and doing that um, that got recognition. Yeah, there were other things, but I remember specifically as a kid, you know. Oh man, if I do, if I if I achieve, if I perform, you know that that's that that's what gets the that's what gets the accolade, that's what gets the affirmation. So, and was it, it like if I achieve, then I'm enough? Yes, mm. yes, I'm enough for sure. Yep. Mm. And and so you know, springing you know, propelling me into into high school, into college. I remember in college, you know, before I even was married or had kids, you know, I was you know as a musician, I was gigging you know five, six, sometimes seven nights a week, and just just for what. You know, just to keep, keep going, you know, looking yeah. back, I think, man, I wish I had more time just not doing anything, just hanging with my friends or, you know, whatever. Um, early in my marriage, before we start having kids, working in ministry at, at, at a church, just just going really hard, you know, mm. you know, three, sometimes four rehearsals, a, mm. uh, you know, throughout the week, you know, so three, mm. four nights I'm, a, I'm away, you know, um, working really hard uh, during the weekend, you know, oh, we have an opportunity to, you know, um, minister to more people. So, you know, let's start a Saturday night, you know, open mic night and just, just going, 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 looking back now, seeing that it was for affirmation, it was for validation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now, you know, then going into actually having kids, I feel like my wife and I went through a lot and did a lot of work before we had kids. So it took the edge off a little bit, you know, when, when, when we actually had the kids, but still very much being there of, doing the, doing the hard work in myself of, okay, you know, why, you know, why am I okay, you know, spending so many hours at work Mm -hmm. when, you know, my kids are at home, you know, if I am at home, why is it so hard for me to be present and rest and, and always feel like I'm needing to check something off of my to-do list? I feel like I'm in, I'm in a much better place now. Um, I think you probably have to ask my wife to get the complete honest answer, but, (laughs) but, you know, things like this, um, I've been in therapy for the last three years and, you know, especially our podcast, um, even in the podcast, that's a big thing that keeps coming up is being present. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm growing in that and getting better. I think like a lot of people, the pandemic, um, kind of forced some, some really hard reckonings with yourself with myself yeah. and um, was able to, to, to see the importance of being present, being home as well. Mm. Wow. Gosh, man. Yeah. Just that transition from learning that like, here's how I get my accolades as a young child is through performance, right? Not that and I guarantee you, your parents, it probably wasn't intentional, but it doesn't matter what right. they intended, right? right. It's, right. it's how we picked up on it as children is, and that's a classic one I've heard. 
and I can relate to that through performance being enough. I think a lot of men mm. in general, and I'm generalizing for men, but I think it's a lot, often men find that accolade through achievement, through performance. Yes. And if I perform, if I achieve, then, then I have value, then I'm enough. Right. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is, and at least this was my story, what I used to believe or what I used to experience before I did my own healing work too, was I would achieve, mm. but that was never enough. Right. Mm, that's good. There, I always had to go to the next thing. (laughs) There was always some higher achievement, some more achievement, because it was this bottomless void that would just, doesn't matter how much I scooped in there, there was always more. Mm. And there was always something better I can do. I can never just be okay with, this was enough. Like, well, and I think, and I think what I've learned about myself is it wasn't just affirm, it wasn't just achievement and affirmation for achievement and affirmation's sake. mm. What I learned through therapy is that actually what I was trying to accomplish through this performance and through this validation was at the end of the day, trying to convince myself of my own worth. Mm. Right. And I think once I got to the place of, of being able to affirm myself and believe in Mm -hmm. myself and say, you know, Hector, you, you are enough, you know, you, you have what it takes. Mm -hmm. Um, There was less pressure to have to do all those things outside. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Absolutely. And I would say that's exactly what I felt too. Yeah. For sure. And that's that shame. It's the shame narrative, right? Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Shame is that I'm not enough. Right. Right. That that utter belief of ourself that somehow we're less than or not, we have no value or no worth. And then we find ways to fill that by workaholism, yeah, man. Yeah. whatever it is yeah. to fill yeah. that, whether, because it, obviously it starts with that external, that external kind of as children, it's always external first. Yeah, man. Right. Yeah. But then as we get older, it then becomes our own internal world of, well, I don't see it. I have to do this for me. And then, yeah, I, it's it, it's a vicious cycle, but, and it can be very uh, isolating and, and uh, can drive a lot of issues like anxiety, depression, yep. the whole right. bunch of stuff. Right. <laughs> and, right. But then I think for your story though, is that you realize that and began to seek help. So I'm wondering, what was the impetus to change for you? What was the point of saying, you know what, I might need to seek out a therapist and specifically a therapist to get help on this. Like what was the, if you remember the turning point of, yep, I, I need to do that. Like yeah, I'm starting sure. to become like my father or mother. I, I think, I think it was two things. I think the first thing is the most obvious is just turmoil in my marriage. Like, you know, me and my wife just not connecting and like, you know, thinking, okay, something needs to, something needs to be reconciled. Something needs to be tweaked. So, so we first engage in, 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 um, in marriage therapy. Um, and so, you know, I know it's not solo therapy, but as, as a couple, some of those themes started to come up, you know, I started to realize mm-hmm. that I think the second part was, um, at the, the job that I was hired at right out of college and was there for, you know, almost seven years, there was a point when, when we transitioned out and when we were leaving where it was like pulling teeth to get me to actually come to the place of, of, of putting in my resignation and leaving. And I had to figure out what that was. Like mm-hmm. I had to, I had to come to term because there was so much in my, in my heart and my soul that was just tangled and I, I couldn't figure it out, but there was something there that was keeping me from just taking the step and transitioning from that job. And it was through, through that, um, realizing, okay, there's something a lot deeper here. This is much mm-hmm. deeper than just a job. Like why yeah. am I having so much trouble, um, mm-hmm. transitioning out of there? Um, so it, it was, it was through that, that forced me to take a deeper look into my own heart figure out, you know, what, what the deal is, what, what's happening, what's going on. And do you think that was like an identity thing? Like oh, 100%. Of, yeah, yeah, okay. it was 100%. Yeah. I found a lot of my validation in that job. It was much deeper than just the job. It was, it was Hector as the 
quote unquote, you know, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it was. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. So yeah, Hector, that, I mean, that, that idea of that identity, I think a lot of men and myself included would relate to that is um, a lot of men, we can tend to tie our identity in our, in our work, in our performance, in our achievement. And when that gets taken away, that can, for whatever reason, whether we lose it or something happens, it can really shake us to our core of, okay, Mm -hmm. who are we now without that? It's like this void. Um, Mm. And so in, within your, you know, your treatment, your healing within therapy, uh, I'm wondering for your identity, how did that shift for you? Like you said, you begin to affirm yourself, you know, you said, I begin to see that I was enough. So what was that shift point for you? And are you still, does that still come up for you from time to time? Yeah, for sure. Well, it always still comes up. I definitely would say that it's been a journey, like a progression, Mm -hmm. you know, but there was one critical point where I think maybe more of the lights came on, you know, Mm. and there's still Mm. more lights that need to be switched. But I remember one moment where the lights really clearly came on and it was at the beginning of the pandemic um, Mm. where, you know, everything kind of was put on hold. um, And there were things that I was doing as a source for my affirmation and validation that had to stop because of the pandemic. And Mm. so I was forced to face the idea of I don't have this stuff to generate my affirmations anymore. You know, so in therapy, um, you know, I, I, I knew there was something off. I said to my therapist, listen, like what's happening? Like, tell me, tell me what's happening to me. Cause I'm trying to figure this out. And he told me, you know, really chill guy has a really soft spoken voice. Like you, Travis, he said, well, it sounds like Hector. Um, and he just broke it down for me. He said, it sounds like you don't believe in yourself and you're trying to generate affirmations to, uh, make you feel like you're good enough. And I was like, oh shit. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but I was like, wow, like the lights just went on. Yeah. And uh, and I think that that's been the biggest turnaround. Now it's wow. easily more easily identifable, like when it does happen, mm. not that it doesn't. Uh, so I won't say it doesn't happen, mm. but I can now identify what that is when it happens. So things like an identity statement is something that we that we've crafted together that mm. I will recite to myself every morning, a purpose statement is something that I recite to myself every morning and that I actually Mm. had to recraft because before it had a lot to do with, um, you know, specific things that were tied to my job. Now it's a lot more broadened. I help my, I help remind myself of, of who I am and what my identity is to kind of keep that perspective. Well, yeah, I know. Powerful. That, that the wow. pandemic forced that even, and it's, it's funny, it says your therapist that it sounds like, because I say that all the time, it sounds like... <laughs> It's a very therapist thing to say. Um, so I'm caught red-handed. So yeah, it sounds like you did a lot of work. And often what I find working with men, and even my own journey, what I found is we think we've done <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then something else comes along mm-hmm. and like rips that out. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought I did work yeah. with this. Yeah. And it yeah. forces you to see like a deeper level like right. you said the pandemic right. Right. forced you to stop on some of those things that you were still getting achievement validation from and you thought you did work and you did do work or something yep. you didn't yep. it's like yeah you did yep. Yep. but this was like a whole other like like forced stripping away of yeah. oh and like that's what i'm hearing is like it just yeah. it just totally it's like the onion analogy right you just went yep. yeah oh. Real stripped real it back core. quicker yeah. yeah you know what else right. it was too travis and marquette you'd, you'd probably you know want to time in here too is is um, right before everything went on pure restrictions for the pandemic, Kobe died. And that was another real big thing for me. It was before everything was stripped away, but the death of Kobe kind of had me primed and set up 
to 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 really not just contemplate the loss of of you know my identity but give a new thing of what it needed to be and that was being a girl dad which is a big reason why we started her best dad ever was even the best basketball arguably arguably the best basketball player in the world didn't find his identity in being an nba player he found his identity mm-hmm. in in being a good father a big bigger part of his identity was being a good father yeah, yeah. and so that was that was you know convicting to me as well and you realize that too, Marquet, similar? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, everything he said was spot on. So I agree with that totally. Yeah. I mean, that was a shocking, and, and I don't follow if I'm, I don't follow basketball a lot, but I knew Kobe, obviously. <laughs> my oh, dad's yeah. a big Lakers fan. And I remember that that day too, it was just, just shock of just like, oh my gosh. And just the whole story of what happened. Um, yeah. It hits you different when you have kids and you hear these stories. It's just like you start to think of your own kids. Right. right. Since we're talking about, you know, Kobe Bryant and kind of the influence he had on you both as fathers. Um, and as dads, and you both mentioned you both went to seek therapy. And I'm wondering within, you know, within the African-American community for both of you, like mental health. And I think this is true even in the community I grew up in that when I was younger, we didn't talk about mental health. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. a thing. Like I didn't, my dad never talked about it. And it became more later on that I got, it was encouraged me to go, but it wasn't something that we talked about. Like mental health wasn't a thing. We didn't talk about emotions even really too. But I'm wondering with specifically within the African American community with mental health, seeking mental health treatment, was that something that was within your families? Was that a normal thing? Was that an encouraged thing? Was that a, yeah, this is what we do? Or or was it not? Was it something that we didn't talk about? Was there a lot of fear around it about seeking out? And and was it something that was, hey, we don't do this as taboo? Can you speak to that a bit? You can go ahead, Marquez. Uh, yeah. And I, <laughs> I think I want to choose my words uh, really carefully with this because I don't want to speak for the whole African American community as a whole. You know, like I could just yeah. tell so from, from my experience, my, yeah, from my yeah. personal experience, and yeah. like within my family, it definitely was. Uh, hmm, how can I put it? Yeah, there there was a stigma there. They were it, it was a challenge, you know, because the narrative is if you're going to therapy, you must be crazy. You're, you're something must be wrong. You know, like why go to therapy where you could just uh, talk to me, you know, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm refer- referring to a mom or an auntie mm-hmm. or uncle, you know, uh, why do you need to go on somebody's couch and tell them all your problems? We don't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it definitely was that, that narrative within my family. Um, once my mom and family heard that I seeked for counseling, um, yeah, it just opened up things where I was like, wow, like this is a problem within certain families, you know, and um, whether whether it's us as African-Americans or, or just just certain families that there is a narrative there that we see it as we only go if you, if that person is literally insane or crazy or. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right. And Hector, what about what about your experience with mental health within your you know family culture and then also maybe the, the you know, the African-American culture at large? Like it, it's a little bit of both because you guys have. Yeah. Both experiences, like your own your own unit and then the, the, the larger unit. For sure, yeah. I think for me, um, you know, I didn't grow up in a traditional African-American home. My, my, my mom is mixed, half white and half black. My father is um, Latino, um, mm. which makes it interesting. I mean, we could have another whole podcast about me hmm. and uh, my ethnicity. Because <laughs> that's a, every, every, my wife and I have traveled a lot. Every every country we go to, they, they try to claim me. But I'm, I'm basically, I'm basically a mutt. But anyway, like... I find myself now, though, as um, in in a lot of circles that I'm in, viewed as a, a black man, and so I, I mm. identify as a black man in a lot of spaces. Mm. Um, specifically, uh, you know, 
we could have another whole conversation about about you know the 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 complexities um and the nuances of um yeah. therapy in the black community um mm-hmm. because that even goes into to fatherlessness and even mm-hmm. that's another whole deep dive of mm-hmm. know, the, the system and, and and what is up against um the right. black community so we could right. we could have another mm-hmm. whole conversation about that but specifically mm-hmm. about therapy in, in my family you know which wasn't a a um, black household culturally, we were more of a, a white household. It was still um, taboo or mm. or not seen as a positive thing for therapy. Similar to what Marquet was saying, it's like, hey, you know that that's a that that's kind of reserved for people who are really going crazy. Right. And I think added right. on top of that, and I think Marquet would relate with this too, because we were um, uh, in the church, we we practice Christianity in our household, I think an added layer of quote unquote God kind of played a role in it too. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. stuff could be prayed away. You know, you didn't need to yeah. go and and you know have counseling or have therapy. You know, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it, God can 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 help you with that, mm-hmm. which, you know, looking back now is 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 crazy. Um mm-hmm. so I think there was there was a taboo there, even though it wasn't explicitly communicated. But um, you know, I found early early on in in my journey that it was it was needed it's important um just to have somebody be present as 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 you process and they help you process um right you know for for all the listeners that are listening and i know we're big proponents of 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 therapy on her best at ever it's very helpful everybody's Mm -hmm. got tangled stuff inside of them and to Mm -hmm. have someone help you untangle that and and process that it's important recently i had a good conversation with my mom and she asked me how I was doing, and uh, I was excited to tell her about therapy that I was in therapy, mm-hmm. and um, I was really just comforted by her response. Uh, she asked, "Oh wow!" She said, "So what are you learning? Mm-hmm. You know, how how's it going?" And yeah. I could tell she really wanted to to know, and it kind of gave me an opportunity to share all the ways she had messed me up. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> you know, the things that I was learning, and we 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 were able to have a, a, a good dialogue even from there. And yeah, I feel good. it helped. Therapy for me has helped even my mom and I's relationship kind of go deeper. Mm, wow, well said. And, and that's good. Wow. And, and to close up this little short section for what we're talking about is from your mental health experience and seeking out mm. a therapist. What is like your one big takeaway from that experience? What would you want to give is like, hey, this is what I found and why I think it's helpful, specifically for men, if they need help to ask for it. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is um, for me, is just a, just a, a intentional safe place to just be. I feel like for us dads, um, yeah, and more so in the African-American community, we don't have that. Mm. You know, we don't have a safe place mm. um, to just fall apart. You know, mm-hmm. like to me, that's healthy to have that that place of safety where I can just mm-hmm. like all my anxiety, all my fears, mm-hmm. um, all my doubts, everything just to just let it be and just let it go and mm-hmm. just show up how I am. You know, um, yeah, I feel like that was that was therapy for me. And I want that for everybody because it's needed, wow. um, especially in today's society. That's good. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Wow. Yeah. For me, it would be knowing that you are enough, hmm. similar to hmm. what Marquet just said, after it's all fallen down and you've let yourself kind yeah. of be vulnerable, knowing that you in that state, you, you, you're enough, you're enough. Hmm. And and you don't need outside sources for affirmation or validation, but you where you are, you're enough. Hmm. And um, from there, you can continue to put the pieces back together and grow. 
Hmm. Good. Wow, good. Hector. Hector and Marquet, those are powerful experiences. And and yeah, both of those hit me too. Like, yeah, mm. you're enough. And to be mm. able to be raw and let yeah. everything fall apart and know you're yeah. safe, right? Like yeah. you're safe to do it That's and right. accepted yeah. in that space, yeah. uh, especially as men, uh, powerful, powerful. So, yeah. and I can totally relate to both those. And I encourage, you know, any, any guys thinking about it, it you know, are on the fence to, to ask, to seek out help. And, uh, it could be very terrifying for the first ask and a big, a big risk takes a lot of courage and, mm, yeah. you know, that's where we're going to go next, you know? Yeah. Um, but I encourage all men just from these two experiences to reach out, man, if you're, if you're going through something and your hesitation, you know, reach out to someone, whether it's even a close, someone just to encourage you, a close friend that you yeah. trust that you feel safe with. I mean, yeah, start right. there. If you want to yeah. start with a therapist, you don't have to go to see a therapist, right? but start right. with, talking to someone right exactly. i mean just yep. anyone and then if you feel like you need more then there are therapists out yep. there i mean well, well said guys well said thanks. thanks for joining and listening today please leave a comment and review the show dads are tough but not tough enough to do this fatherhood thing alone